Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Danny Lombard. Danny is one of the founding partners of Soda Communications, a boutique PR agency with offices in both Sydney and Melbourne. Danny leads the Soda Communications team in Sydney and has almost 20 years of local and international PR experience, particularly in the health and beauty space. She also holds a Bachelor of Media from Macquarie University. In this episode, we explore the confusing and often misunderstood world of public relations and the role it plays in helping individuals and businesses promote themselves through various marketing mediums. During our discussion, we honed in on the aesthetics industry, where Danny shared some hints and tips on how to make yourself or your business known and how to stand out from the crowd. So we're here to talk about PR, and I guess everyone that's listening what, probably think- examinations. <laughs> <laughs> People are probably thinking, what has PR got to do with me? With you know, this is an aesthetics channel and look good, feel good. But I think most people listening to this podcast have their own business. Everyone's in sales these days, whether you like to admit it or not. Everyone's selling themselves every day. And whether you're an injector um, within another business or you're a solo or you're a doctor, people are always looking for ways to promote themselves in this day and age. It's a super competitive market. Um, and Danny, we've known you for, well, I've known you for many years. Um, and when Jake and I were talking about potential topics to, I guess, bring to the audience, and we like to do something a little bit different every now and again, more business related, you thought you were the perfect person to have a chat with. So thank you for coming in and agreeing to give us some of your time and telling us all about PR. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Good very, morning. Very exciting to be here and in person too. The second yes. time in two days. I'm honoured. I know. We're really <laughs> ramping things up at the end of the year. Yeah. So how's things been going for you since? I know we, it feels like every podcast at the moment started with something in relation to COVID, but I guess it's pertinent because you've uh, got a business with Premises in Melbourne, which was for everyone listening around the world, Melbourne got some fairly extensive lockdowns compared to the rest of Australia and one of your offices is there. So yeah. I guess how's, how have you guys been going since then? Yeah, it's been a, an interesting year, definitely. Um, so yeah, as you mentioned, my business is called Soda Communications and we've got offices in Sydney and we've got offices in Melbourne. Um, and when the first lockdown happened back in March or April, um, I mean, I guess it just depends what industries your clients are in. And in our case, particularly in Sydney, actually Melbourne was okay, but particularly in Sydney, a lot of our clients were in uh, industries that basically were shut down and not mm. operating. So uh, we took a big hit for a few months. Um, you know, people are not, they're not operating. So you can't be marketing for a business that is not operating. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you know, like, like so many businesses, our business was definitely affected during that period. And, uh, we've thankfully seen, uh, a big upswing in the last few months where I feel like people are starting to get their confidence back. Uh, certainly Melbourne's only, only very recently sort of come out of those very harsh restrictions. But I think in Sydney and the rest of Australia, businesses are starting to feel a little bit more confident about, spending again and investing in their businesses. Uh, but something, you know, I'm very conscious of with our clients is, you know, you've also got to account for the the loss of income over that period and, mm. um, and feeling confident about your, you know, the profitability of your business before you then start investing in, in marketing channels. But I think that's definitely happening now, which is, yeah, really good to see. What, what type of clients do you have under Soda Communications? Like what's the breadth of types of industries? Yeah, so we're a consumer lifestyle agency, which which is pretty uh, diverse. Uh, my background personally has always been quite heavily uh, geared around beauty and health and wellness and that, that sort of area. So a lot of our clients have, have been um, in those spaces. But we do automotive, we do some B2B, we do some food and wine. Um, so it's pretty, pretty expansive. But uh, my background um, when I was younger was definitely in beauty PR and that's always been something that I've just loved and, and gravitated towards. So that's, you know, I've always made sure to, to kind of keep keep a, a little 
finger in the pie in in that area because it's you know as a woman I think who loves beauty and who's who's you know from a consumer perspective it's it's a fun part of my life uh yeah I enjoy working in that space as well did you see um any evidence that the beauty industry is sort of recession proof I mean we we keep on saying you know through um the 2008 um financial crisis that beauty was the one thing that people still were spending money on and and now we're well at least after the lockdowns we're certainly seeing that people are spending money on beauty is that something that you've seen as well a hundred percent i mean i think for for people uh, you know who are operating clinics and and salons and things like that obviously when you're not able to offer treatments that's tricky um but in terms of buying product it was really hard, I guess, over that period to do anything for yourself that made you feel good. Mm. <laughs> you know, you couldn't catch up with friends, you couldn't eat out, you're not going on holiday, you don't really have anything to look forward to. You're not buying clothes because you've got nowhere to wear them to. Yes. Um, I remember I ordered a dress right before lockdown happened and then I just put it in my cupboard and haven't looked at it since, you know, because yeah. there's nowhere to go. Um but, you know, you can buy... You can skin- have dinner with your husband at home. Oh, well, now, now you know, yeah, <laughs> things have changed a little bit now. But, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, didn't everyone get super keen in the beginning with lockdown, like yeah. all the fun things that we're going to do at home and two weeks later, nope. Yeah. Um, but you could still buy skincare, you could still buy makeup, you could still invest in making yourself um, feel good and, and, and looking after yourself. And I think, yeah, people, people um, in the industry that I've spoken to with online channels were booming yeah Yeah. so yeah i think it's that phenomenon is called the lipstick economy or the lipstick effect which basically says that people will still spend money on self-indulgent things yeah well what was in wartime wasn't it that women were still buying lipstick Yeah, yeah exactly i mean i guess as well during these sorts of periods of time people are feeling depressed they're stressed they're feeling uncertain about the future they can't go on holidays they can't travel so doing things that can still make them feel good about themselves and self-indulging. So I hear what you're saying, Jack. I don't know whether it's recession proof. I'd say probably recession resistant, mm-hmm. probably a lot more, um, a lot more, I guess, defend, defensible in these sorts of situations than most other, than most other industries, because people still want to feel good about themselves. And, and also I, with Zoom too, right? Oh my God. <laughs> the Zoom effect, that'll be the next, There's, the next phenomenon. No, honestly, where you, you know, you sit down for a Zoom call and you say, dear God, is that what I look like? <laughs> You're like Somebody help me. <laughs> well, didn't they have, there's a feature on there where they actually, um, you can auto fix yourself. Was it like auto focus yeah. or less yeah, correct no, it does. or something? It's, it's a filter, but it yeah. doesn't do much. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't do much. Depends it's on your of, starting point, I guess. Yeah, it slightly <laughs> smooths the skin, yeah. but yeah, it's not. It's frankly well, not enough. You should yeah. have seen the bribes that were coming Jake's way during lockdown. Oh People God. offering to do all sorts of <laughs> unspeakable things to have, yeah. him, to have him come to their house this and do gen- his treatments. Oh, worse than that. <laughs> tell you that uh, I won't go into it but, um. well I think I think the other thing about beauty is it transcends you know generations so yeah. you've got these little tweens who are you know starting to get very into makeup yeah. you know r- rightly or wrongly from a young age because of everyone on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok um, and then you know women in their 70s still want to look beautiful and want to know what they can do for their skin and still wear makeup and still want to get their hair done and so I feel like you've got a very big target market as well to appeal to which is good. Now maybe let's just take things a few steps back um, in relation to you and your background. I know Mm -hmm. you said you've always been into beauty. I know you had um, your own business. Well you still got your own business now but you've merged with you merged merged with Soda Communications. Yeah so it used to be under my own name Daniel Lombard Public Relations and then yeah we merged with with Soda a couple of years ago. But how did it all start with you? How did you decide you wanted to get into PR? And I just wanted to ask you what does we'll get to this in a second but what does PR actually mean? I mean it sounds like a really fancy term but in terms of what it actually means. So could you give us just a little bit of a I guess background and in terms of you sure. and Sure. So it's funny you ask that question because I asked the same question the night before my first job interview. Oh, right. Yes. Um, so I had studied media and communications at, at university and um, I thought I wanted to get into, you know, TV production or film production or maybe TV journalism. Um, and so I'd finished uni and gone off traveling as you do and sort of taken my gap year. And in that time I had, um, as you do, fallen in love with an American Where boy. did you go? Where did you travel? I traveled around Europe and then I worked in Canada for a few months and then I ended up 
um, running off to San Francisco <laughs> to be with the American boy. <laughs> and in order to get a working visa at the time, the only visa that was, uh, you know, eligible, that I was eligible for was a like an internship visa where hmm. because I was less than a year out of uni, if I could find a job related to my degree, I could, you know, apply for an internship. So I literally would have taken anything at that point. Um, and the only internship I could find that paid anything it was $10 an hour was at a PR company. Mm. So, and at the, you know, I think it's quite different now at uni where you can really specialise, you can do, you know, you can specialise in PR or advertising or digital media or whatever. It was like really general in the late nineties when I was at uni. So, um, my sister works in advertising and I rang her the night before and I said, I got this job interview at a PR company quickly, but like, what's PR? Tell, tell me what PR is. <laughs> um, so I literally didn't know. And my sister told me and I said, well, that just sounds like advertising. And she said, no, no, it's not. And I said, oh, whatever. And just, you know, hung up the phone and went off to my job interview where I was interviewed by three different people and they said, you know, what part of PR really interests you the most? And of course I did not know what it was. So I just said, just all of it, you know, I'm just, I'm a sponge. I just want to learn. <laughs> and, you know, I think this gift of the gab and ability to talk your way out of most things is like what makes you very good at PR, but I didn't know that at the time. Anyway, so I ended up with this internship at, a, at an American PR company and really learnt um, through you know, through work rather than study um, about the industry. So that was in 2001 and then worked in America for a little while and then came back to Sydney and worked in a couple of agencies and then started um, my own consultancy when I was about 28. Um, and so to answer your question, what's PR, um, which my parents still ask me on the <laughs> reg, um, basically the easiest way that I'd explain it to people is it's a, it's a channel of marketing and... Uh, in very broad terms, it is our job to um, get your business or your product or your service um, in front of your desired audience through media channels without paying for it. Mm. So when you look at advertising, you go, well, I want to uh, take out an ad and I'm going to put it on TV and I want it to run at this time slot. I'm going to make the ad and I'm going to pay for it. So everything's very controlled. And the, you know, alternative of what that might look like for PR is that your PR person is going to try and pitch a story to a TV program where they're going to choose to feature you based on the fact that they think your business or product is interesting enough to have you on. And they do that sort of from an editorial perspective rather than an advertising perspective. Um, and obviously the media landscape has changed a lot. So once upon a time, PR people would be talking to TV, they'd be talking to radio, they'd be talking to print. Uh, and now that has expanded a lot, you know, with the advent of social media in terms of how we communicate with a client's audience is through, you know, multiple channels rather than just those traditional media channels. I found a funny quote when I was sort of doing a bit of research. Advertising is what you pay for. Publicity is what you pray for. Yeah, no, really. And, you know, I guess when you think from a consumer point of view and, you know, we are all consumers when we're not working, when you see an ad, you know that somebody's paid for that and that's why when you're flicking through something, you usually don't pay very much attention to them unless it happens to be something that you're interested in. Mm. And whatever it says in that ad, you go, yeah, 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 because of course you're going to say that your company is amazing and you want me to buy your product. But when you can get a third party to say that about you, it's really powerful. Mm. Um, and and I suppose what you're getting is that third party endorsement from an independent uh, person or authority or publication saying, we think this is worthy enough to put in our magazine or on our website or social media channel. Mm. Is it true that any publicity is good publicity? No. <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, look, in a lot of cases, uh, uh, yeah, you know, whatever exposure you can get is good, but there is certainly uh, publicity that nobody wants to get, you know. Um, and, you know, for example, if you look at what recently happened with Pete Evans in the last couple of weeks, who, who people around the world may or may not know, but he's a... He was a celebrity chef who sort of reinvented himself as a as a wellness guy and who has some quite controversial views. Um, and he put up a social media post that uh, featured a, a neo-Nazi symbol and the, the way that that has blown up in the press has cost him, you know, millions of dollars in mm. endorsements and appearances and publishing deals. And so, I mean, it can be extremely damaging 
as well. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned that over the past, let's call it five years, may, mainly pe- the, the the channels that people can use to promote themselves have gone from, as you said, just TV, print, radio to like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. There's millions of different online mm-hmm. articles now. How have you adapted as a business and as a PR specialist in terms of being able to adapt to those changes? And do you think your jobs become easier or harder? Uh, I'd say... Uh, I'd say maybe easier in a way. Mm. Um, and that, you know, maybe very marginally. Because um, used to be a monopoly, right? Really, kind of. Yeah. You know, you had like a few players that controlled everything. Whereas Correct. Now it's, yeah. And now you can be an individual that has a bigger publishing audience than a major newspaper, mm. you know, and you're some doofus teenager on TikTok and you're talking <laughs> to more people than the City Morning Herald, you know. Yeah. Um, so in that regard, um, yeah, the industry's changed a lot in the last few years and in terms of how we've adapted, I think initially I was very much on sort of holding the line between we do PR and we do traditional media relations and then, you know, there's a, a dime a dozen social media agencies that are popping up all the time, let them look after that and let's just sort of stick to our lane. But as time's gone on, um, there's a there's a huge amount of crossover and it really does make sense um, to be able to work across across both and have a really strong handle on both um, for our clients. So I think we've got yeah a huge amount of opportunity I think to get that publicity um, across those different channels. But I think likewise it's harder to sort the 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 trash from the good stuff, you know? So, you you know, it's not enough for someone to have, you know, 100,000 Instagram followers if you look into it and 90% of those are overseas and you're trying to influence an Australian consumer. So, mm. you've just got to do a bit more digging around. So, where does being an expert social media marketer blend with being a PR uh, agent? Like, or do you have to be a master of both? No, that's a good question and I will attempt to answer it. So... Again, when I, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking in sort of really broad terms just for the sake of it being, you know, easier for, for everyone to understand no matter, no matter sort of where they've come from. But again, you've got social media as it exists as an advertising channel mm-hmm. and then you've got social media as it exists, you know, and I'll use the term editorial again, but, you know, people would use the word content. Yes. So, um, you know, there's a way to win an audience and influence an audience through the content that you're writing and delivering. Mm-hmm. And then there's using advertising and using the paid dollar mm-hmm. to reach more people and influence sales and that kind of thing. And that is quite a specialist, specialized area. Um, especially using, you know, Facebook is, is, um, incredibly targeted in terms of allowing you to to really hone in on on who you want to serve ads to and and what you want them to be interested in and things like that. So I wouldn't say um, you have to be an expert in both, but I think you definitely have to understand both. But in terms of how you sort of establish your reputation and how you want people to see you and perceive you, you know, that's very much around the content that you're putting out on social media as well. And, you know, what's your tone of voice? What What is your messaging? How, how consistent are you with the types of um, things that you talk about? Uh, how often do your people want to hear from you? What are they interested in? What do they want to hear about? Mm. Um, so thinking about all of that is really important when you're, when you're looking at what you're doing on social media as well. You, you almost become your own publishing channel. Yeah. yeah. And even if you've got a really small audience, that's okay. Um, you can build that up organically by just giving them content that they're interested in and that appeals to them. So mm. do, do Soda Communications have its own in-house social media marketing group or team? So we've got contractors that we use okay. uh, that, that again are specialists in different areas. Um, but no, it's the it's the same team that will that will be able to work across PR and social media. And and a huge part of what we do in PR, which which is probably not not that well understood unless you work in it, is is writing. So mm. we're writers at the end of the day. So it's 
you know, when we're when we're pitching something out to media, we're thinking about how do we craft this into a story and how can we write about this in a way that we can present it to a journalist or an influencer or, or a publication in such a way that they go, this is this is really interesting and I want to know more. Yeah. So we're storytellers. So we're, you know, we're crafting that story and, and originally that was just for the media and now you want to be able to craft that story for social media as well and often the messaging is the, is the same or very similar. So, mm. yeah. It's been um, just hearing you guys have that, that little bit of a discussion. I, my mind went back to that Netflix uh, series called Mad Men, um, uh, um, which I think is a brilliant series if Jake mm, hasn't seen no, it. I recommend that you do. Yeah. Just thinking about how things have changed in terms of how we approach marketing ourselves to to our audience but it still goes back to that whole storytelling i mean i was thinking back to those scenes where you know don was you know getting these clients in and they had storyboards and how they would communicate communicate with the with uh, with the public and their consumers it's really interesting to see that you know the methodologies methodologies and channels have changed but it's still it's that storytelling that writing for sure and you want to and you want to hook people in and you want you know it is it, you, you ask the question, is our job easier or harder? Um, I suppose the ways in which it is harder is that it is really difficult to capture attention online now, yeah. right? So people have, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the stats are, but our attention span must be about two seconds now, yeah. you Just know, flick, flick, or flick. less. Yeah. To say, if I'm not interested in this, in the next one second, I'm going to move on to something else. So you have to work pretty hard to, to capture people's attention. Yeah. And of course, the way the various algorithms work on, on social media, that the more people are reading and engaging in and commenting on your content, the more people Facebook will show it to. So if you can create content that people are going to interact with and, and respond to, that's going to push that post or story out to more people so it's sort of self-fulfilling in a way yeah so how many of your clients uh, i guess it depends what industry let's talk about doctors or, mm -hmm. or nurses or clinics how many of them are sort of feeling that pr is a little bit disingenuous in the fact that it's storytelling but of course you're I don't know if you're embellishing the truth or just promoting everything that's good that maybe your client didn't realise was good about themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, some people are uncomfortable with it. Is is I guess what I'm getting at because they don't like talking about themselves. Yeah, and that's why you hire someone else to do it because it's really awkward yeah. to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. Yeah. So, you Especially know, doctors, it's just not in our nature. We didn't train that way. We, we've just, we're a drone in a hospital or a correct. GP clinic and it's not what you do. And then you're running a business and you're like, well, I'm, you know, I want to focus on my patient care, but at the same time you've got a business to run and it's, you know, yeah, like putting yourself front and centre can be, can be a weird feeling. And yes. some people love it and they're all about that. And some people are like, I want to be invisible, yeah. um, and I want you to, you know, focus on the product or the service or what, whatever the case may be. So, I mean, it depends on, I suppose, the, the PR operator themselves. But, you know, if you're dealing with someone good, they're going to be really ethical um, yes. and truthful about what they are and aren't putting out. Um, particularly, obviously, there's, there's, there's rules and regulations around, you know, TGA and, and medical procedures and what you can and can't say and you've, you know, you've got to take all of that pretty seriously but your question about sort of finding the gold that you might not even realise um, when I started my business 14 years ago actually I was going to call it Yellow Brick Road PR oh, wow. and I didn't and then Mark Boris called his um, little mortgage company mm. Yellow Brick Road and stole it from me um, <laughs> but the reason that I like that idea is because in The Wizard of Oz you know they go on this whole pilgrimage to find this thing that they're looking for and at the end they realize it was in them all along yeah, yeah. so it, it's exactly that point about saying that every business and person and product you know it's about finding out what is it about your story that's really going to resonate with people or what is it about what you do that makes you special and how can we like really hone in on that and harness that yeah. um to to get you out into the world mm. Mm. you talked about uh finding your audience and I think that that's been a little bit of like a revelation for people in the last, maybe even the last sort of couple of years is you don't have to have 5 million followers on Instagram to yeah. have an audience and to have a voice and to have people that are really passionate about what you do. So have you seen that change in terms of people just wanting volumes of people following them as opposed to 
finding your audience. Absolutely. So they'll talk about, you know, follower numbers now as a vanity metric. Yeah. So it's something that you want purely from a vanity perspective, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything uh, in terms of how that impacts your your business. Obviously, people can buy followers. There's yes. a lot of dodgy stuff that you can do where you can make your page suddenly have 100,000 followers tomorrow and they're all bots and, <laughs> yes. you know, none of them are real. So, you know, there's there's tools that you can use as well to look at people's accounts to work out whether yeah. their followers are legitimate and that kind of thing. But, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're a, a clinic or, um, you know, or running a, a practice of any kind and you've got a – a, a relatively small audience and by small I might mean you know maybe it's a thousand people or it's a few hundred or whatever but those people like really trust you and they want to hear from you and they want and they they want to engage in that conversation with you I mean that's a, it's a really powerful tool to communicate with those people and at the end of the day what any business is doing whether you're in the medical field or the um, you know or in beauty or in retail or whatever it is that you're doing as you said, everybody's in sales at the end of the day. You know, if, if you want to pay the bills, you you, you got to make money. And so, you know, even if you're, you know, a doctor to your point, Jake, you're, you're there to, to help people and to treat your patients. But if no patients come through your door, you're not going to have any food on your table. You know, it's just it's just the way it is. So, um, yeah, it's about thinking, you know, how, how, how can I help people and what do people need from me that I can provide for them that maybe they can't get anywhere else. And if you can, you know, hold that audience in the right way, it's extremely powerful. It doesn't have to be thousands and thousands of people. And you would far rather have legitimate real followers that are there mm. for the right reasons than people who, you know, you, you've pulled in with a bunch of ads and they're not even following you or reading anything that yeah. you're saying. I have to say, when, whenever I see an account now with more than... 15,000, I'm immediately sort of thinking this is nonsense. Mm. And you yeah. can just go to the insights and flick through the followers. And yeah. Yeah. You can just tell by, by the, the usernames that these are not legitimate people. Yeah, or you look at the, any of their posts and most of their posts have, you know, three or four comments, but supposedly they've got 75,000 followers. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mm. add up yeah. always. Yeah, well, something, Jake, we, we sort of discussed right at the beginning when we launched the podcast was that we wanted to keep it really real and mm. it was kind of depressing you know you're putting out all this content you've got like 200 <laughs> followers you're like who the hell am I talking to I'm wasting my time but yeah I think the people that listen to our podcast are really love what we do and we know that those like three and a half thousand people that we've got following us now like genuinely really interested in well, what we, we put out did yeah. a bit of simple maths didn't we we've got about I don't know 3,800 followers on Instagram which is you know it's modest but they're engaged and then we're getting 10 to 15,000 downloads a month and we're putting out four podcasts a month it's probably all of our followers or, or, or many of them so those people are engaged and real and you know I'd rather have that than 30,000 random faceless people absolutely and you know I listen to a bunch of podcasts I don't really follow any of them on social media so yeah, on your library right of course of course <laughs> of course but you know um I mean podcasts are quite a specific area but you just because they're not following you on Instagram doesn't mean they're not following you yeah. on another channel or engaging yes. with you that way. But certainly if someone's, you know, gone to the trouble to follow you on Instagram because they want to know what you're doing and they want to see behind the scenes and they want to know a little bit more about it, that's a great yeah. sign. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy when you think about it and you think about 15,000 people. If you had like 15,000 people sitting in front of you. <laughs> that's, that's a big a audience. That's a shitload of, stadium. That's a shitload yeah. of people, you know. So yeah, it's crazy. So when a client approaches you, a new client, mm -hmm. Take us through that process of how you establish how you're going to work with them or how you develop and sort of tease out the strategy that you're going to employ. Should yeah. we should we fine-tune this to aesthetic? Yes, for sure. Let's, let's say let's say Dr. Jake was in badly in need of some PR. <laughs> how would you help him? So generally speaking, the first thing that I would do is ask a ton of questions. So there are certain clients that will come through and they're very clear about what they want. Uh, you know, I'm I'm Dr. Jake Sloan and I want to be known as the expert in X, Y, and Z, or I'm going to be um, doing this new treatment from America. I'm the first person to do it in Australia and I want to get the word out. Mm -hmm. So there might be a very clear um, brief on what, what you want to happen. Uh, I tend to find more often than not that isn't the case and it's more people saying, I feel like we need PR. Uh, what, what, 
what would that look like and and, and what should we be doing? So yeah. the first question is really to get get a real handle on the business and, and where the business is at and what you're doing. And uh, again, coming back to who is your audience, who is it that you're trying to influence? Mm. Um, what do you want to be known for? What are you currently known for? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And again, trying to uncover what is going to be the most newsworthy or the most interesting thing that you have to offer. And there are times when a client will come to us and say, oh, we're doing this really interesting, cool thing and we want to let people know about it. But then in that process of talking to them, we actually go, hold on a minute. Can you tell me a bit more about that? And we'll actually find there's something else that they didn't think was that interesting that actually is, in our opinion, going to be the, the gold nugget for media yeah. and then in that case we might advise them well actually I think you should be looking a little bit more at this um, again it depends there are certain clients where they might already have a marketing manager that's looking after their advertising and social media and they they really want to specifically try and get into mainstream traditional media and they're bringing us on board or there might be other cases where they're actually looking for support uh, in a range of areas in which case we can we can look at that too so so it's a real sort of uh, process of mining for information, but ultimately the purpose of PR and the purpose of any marketing channel is to support your business mm. and to help you bring in customers and keep customers and build a positive reputation for yourself and your business in the marketplace. So it's our job to talk to you and to understand where you're at and where you want to go and then come back to you with a sort of suggested scope of work of how we what we think that's going to look like. Do you find when you have that conversation that a lot of people then reflect back on what their business looks like and go, shit, I've been doing this all wrong? Or I actually don't have a unique selling point because I'm just an injector? Yeah, look, I think, I think it's rare for that to happen. And I think there are I mean, I can probably count on one hand the amount of times that somebody has approached us and I have literally said, I just wouldn't bother. <laughs> um, you know, and I wouldn't say it like that, but I would say I think you're better off investing in uh, other areas because mm. I, just, I just don't see this as a story. Yeah. Um, so we really you know, our expertise is also understanding what the media wants. And it's, you know, if what you're doing is the same as everybody else, then it's a case of, well, is there a way that we can make this newsworthy or we can start positioning you as an expert? So what about if we ran a consumer survey and we surveyed, you know, 1,500 Australian people about what they think or feel about injectables or how many, you know, w what what statistics exist out there. We're not going to try and compete with, with medical studies or anything like that. But from a consumer perspective, is there a lack of understanding about the difference between Botox and filler? Is there, you know, how many people are scared about it? Are people very blasé about this now? Do they just see it as another you know, is it seen as no different than putting face cream on? Are people more worried about wrinkles since they've been doing Zoom calls, you know? And then you can actually potentially come up with some interesting sort of stats that you can throw out to media and say, you know, we've got these new figures and we want you to have a chat to Dr. Jake Sloan and he can talk about sort of what he's seeing and what trends are happening. Mm. So there's, you know, there's often something that you can do. It would be unusual for there to be nothing. Um, but again, it's our job to figure that out. And, and I, you know, I don't take money from people if I don't think I can do a good job for them. And if I really feel that this is going to be really, really challenging, I will recommend that maybe they look at looking at, at some different marketing channels instead. Mm. Sounds fair. So what, what avenues or, or what um, branches within PR are there? I mean, I would off the top of my head understand that you could reach out to journals or journalists or TV, like you said, but you know, it's much broader than that. Yeah. So in terms of if you're looking at, at media relations specifically, um, which tends to be the area that we will operate in predominantly, in terms of what those tactics actually look like. So initially you'd sit down and you'd say, okay, what's our overarching strategy here of, of, of what are we going to do and what's that going to look like? And then we would go, okay, well, how are we actually going to execute that 
and what are those tactics going to look like? So that could be, you know, in very broad terms, something that people have heard the term of, of a media release or a press release. So that's usually when you've got a news announcement or you've got something that you'd like to release to the media that's that's of potential interest to them. And that is basically just distributing that media release and then following up on what we call pitching journalists to say, I think I've got a story for you that you're going to be interested in. And it's our job to sort of frame that story of here's all the pieces of the puzzle. This is, you know, you can interview Dr. Jake Sloan. You can interview this consumer about her experience. Um, you can, we've got these images for you. You can come in, you can try the treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all of those different avenues. You might hold an event. You might hold a media event. So we've done that in the past with clients where they've got um, a new treatment and we can either organise for people just sort of for media or influencers on a sort of one-off basis to just book them into the clinic and come in and trial that. And it's really relationship building. That's Mm. like a really big part of it. Um, And then we've done other things where we've actually done a media day where we've booked you know, a hotel suite for two days and we've had the the technology or the treatment in the room and we've been able to book people in over the course of two days so we can get, you know, 18 people come through and and then we follow up with those people and go, we want you to write about the treatment, we want you to review it um, and basically push from taking that experience that they've had and translating that into media coverage. Um, There's also things like, um, you know, crisis management and issues management, uh, which is sort of the less sort of fun and fluffy stuff. But if you've... um, Sounds pretty horrendous. (laughs) Yeah, you know, if there's an issue with... so, So let me give you a couple of examples of what an issue might look like. You, a patient is suing you. Um, and you're worried that that's going to come out in the media or you're worried that they're going to get on social media and start talking about it, you know, to have someone that can go, okay, well, here's how we're going to approach that and here's how we're going to manage that. And that that comes back to David's original question of is all publicity good publicity? And sometimes the best job that we can do for our clients is to keep something out of the press. Mm. Uh, If we're looking at that, you know, there are other issues where it might have absolutely nothing to do with any fault of your own, right? So, there is, you know, a, uh, I'm not going to use any particular brand name in this, but there's a, a brand of filler or anti-wrinkle injection and suddenly there's a new study that comes out that says that it causes whatever and suddenly that that has a potential to affect your business mm-hmm. because that is something that you deliver to patients and are people going to now be ringing up and saying, help, you know, I had this treatment last week, what's going to happen to me and do we need to put something out proactively? What, what are people saying on social media? Is this going to get out into the media? How do we sort of protect our business from being impacted by this? So there's, there's issues and crises where, you know, the client might be at fault or implicated somehow and there's other issues where it might be something happening more broadly in the mm-hmm. industry but you want to protect yourself. I guess like the breast implant scandal, that was kind of a good example. Yeah, with the illness. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Or or, or PIP, I think it was called. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. And, you know, things like that can kind of come out of nowhere and blow up very quickly. Mm. Uh, And it's, you know, really about um, preserving your reputation through that and making sure that you can minimise any any damage to your reputation to the business. I guess... um, because we're bombarded with so much news and events, I mean, there's a 24-hour news cycle now. People have short memories. I mean, mm. I can't remember any news stories other than COVID this year, really. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't tell you anything. I'm sure I've seen stuff, yeah. but I wouldn't be able to point to anything in particular. So I guess in some ways it it's a gift and the curse or the double-edged sword in that like it's a bad story can come out, but then depending on how bad it is and how prolonged it is, people might forget about it in a week. Absolutely. And you know, there's definitely two sides to that coin. So on one hand, anybody with a iPhone has become a broadcaster. So you could be walking down the street, see something, film it on your iPhone, that blows up on social media, it gets picked up by every TV channel, every website. And and the media didn't even have to be there, you know, like, so in that respect, that is not good news if yeah. you're if there's you know something that that's happened that you or your company are, are involved in but on the flip side you know there used to be a newspaper that would come out in the morning with a certain number of pages and a certain yeah. number of column inches to fill and unless something was a really big deal mm. it wasn't going to make it into the paper 
But now, you know, like you said, 24-hour news cycle, you're, you're pushing out stories all day. So there's there's yeah. there's a bit more space for something to make it into the news and there's, you know, that that, that potential that it could go viral, which yeah. is the fun word. And um, But, yeah, people have very short memories and, you know, they say today's news is – yeah. Yesterday's news is today's fish and chip. Yeah. Pepper. Are we allowed to use the word viral in the COVID yes. year? <laughs> Do we, we have to change the word yes. now? We know um, what we mean. Yeah. I guess that's a problem as well from, from a consumer's perspective. I, I look at something and I, I don't even know whether it's real anymore. Yeah. Because Fake who, news. who's vetted it? Um, and what you're finding is that as these traditional media organizations struggle to stay relevant, mm. they're getting more and more outrageous with the clickbait, with the, with the clickbait and, you yeah. know, because people are not paying attention to the City Morning Herald as much as they used to. People, as you said, they're watching kids on TikTok or Instagram right. and it's like, well, everyone's vying for your attention yeah. and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get your attention, which then brings into question, well, how, credibility, how credible is this journalism? And what is, you know, if you watch the news, you're misinformed. If you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. It's like yeah. you can't win. So yeah. how do you know what to believe anymore? Well, I think when you when you have experience in actually working with the mainstream media and you understand what's involved in real journalism, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys uh, have read Ronan Farrow's book, Catch and Kill, which no. is he was the journalist that uncovered the Harvey Weinstein right. scandal. Oh. And so he's got a book called Catch and Kill. He's got a podcast right. called Catch and Kill as well, which talks about the whole process. But the thing that I found amazing about that was the level of vetting and security that he had to demonstrate in that story before anything was allowed to go to print was it was vast. Oh, yeah. Um, so no publishing house or newspaper or TV you know, show wants to get into a litigious situation because they've printed something that is not been vetted. Yeah. And I think like the average person doesn't necessarily understand about the journalistic process yeah. and what's involved in that. And so they might treat, um, you know, this really clickbaity website with the same amount of weight as they would treat something in the Sydney Morning Herald and the fact is that the level of work that's gone into both of those things may be quite different you know it really depends on the on the publishing house or the media outlet in terms of what their sort of journalistic protocols are and there's also reprinting of stories where they might get sort of watered down or filtered or, or whatever but um, really understanding that if you're if you're looking at a a significant media outlet they're going to have processes in play to make sure that the information that you're being given has been vetted, that the people are willing to be, um, you know, interviewed on the record. It's not like when you pick up a trashy magazine and it says a close friend of so-and-so, like if that person's not willing to go on the record, I wouldn't believe what they're saying. So yeah, I mean, if you're not in the industry and you're not familiar with that kind of stuff, then yeah, it gets really tricky to know what's real and what's not. So, mm. I, you know, I, I try to get my news from legitimate sources. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess getting back to injectors, um, I guess particularly in the last couple of years, it seems that there's been so many more injectors coming onto the scene or into the industry and everyone's touting themselves as an expert from day one. Mm. Um, I mean, Jake, you probably see this as well as someone that works in the industry, seeing this sort of thing pop up all the time. Yep. So I guess when people come into this industry, I, I guess people want to have this profile from day one. Mm. Would you agree that there's an element of time and hard work that needs to go in before you would even consider going down the PR route? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's hard to say that you're an expert and when your bio says that you've graduated from medical school the last <laughs> week, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm all for, you know, that there are incredible young people doing amazing things in the world and you don't have to be 50 years old uh, with 25 years of experience to be really yeah. great at what you do. But certainly I think if you're trying to position yourself as an expert, you need to be able to demonstrate that you've had the experience and that you have the knowledge. And, you know, when we're uh, working with a client, say if we we're working with a doctor or similar, you know, or any client really, we'd have a bio on them that says why you should listen to this person, you know, and that will say what their work experience is, where they've studied, what, you know, why should you trust this person? Mm. And again, any media sort of worth their weight are going to be relatively choosy about who they do choose to interview. But something that is really great is if you are found to be good media talent, and I'm making the little quotation marks with, um, marks with my hands, uh, 
then you'll get journalists that will come back to you because mm. they go, oh, my God, that David Segal guy, he was great. He was so informative. He was helpful. I felt he was really truthful. You know, media get really sick and tired of everyone telling you all the time how wonderful everything is, you yeah. know. So obviously you guys have patient confidentiality in the medical field where obviously you're not going to talk about anything bad that's happened. But, you know, if you take a business client, for example, and or an entrepreneur and you'll often get – you know, that question of, you know, what's what's one big mistake that you made? Mm-hmm. And inevitably people will say, oh, you know, I, you know, I've just learned from everything. I just don't really feel it. Well, give us something, you know, like, oh, my God, well, this one time, you know, early in the piece, I, you know, I did this and I did this deal and I really regretted it and this is how it played out. You know, people actually want honesty and they want integrity. And when they, if they sense that they, you know, they've got someone that will be really honest, really forthright, that's really knowledgeable, that knows their stuff and that's not going to bullshit them, if I can speak frankly, they're going to say, that person's great and I'm going to use them moving forward. So that's when we talk about having those relationships with journalists. It's our job to kind of connect our client with the media and hopefully, you know, we can't do everything. At some point we're handing it over to our Mm. client to say, now it's time for you to sort of demonstrate that you know what you're doing. And if you do a good job of that, then then you, that journalist will want to come back to you and they'll want to chat to you again. I guess my two pennies worth and if you're injector listening and you're new and I think, David, you've employed new injectors who struggle with the concept that because they can't do everything, they feel like they have to embellish give the impression yeah. that they do to get mm. those patients or clients. But the reality is, I think, and, and this is a PR kind of thing as well, you know, and this works mainly for social media. If you just present yourself as honest, hardworking, sterile, your room looks beautiful, mm. you, you're passionate about what you do, I think people will resonate with that way more than I can do eyebrow filler yeah. or, you know, some fancy <laughs> uh, forehead filler that, you know, is not really relevant for most of the people. And if you want that, you know, go to someone special. But if you're looking after 98% of your patients well for the bread and butter, I, I think that's way better... Um, well, it's a good work ethic, but also for your PR, I think it's, well, it's way a, better. It's again, you know, what do you want to be known for? Um, and do you want to be known for being, you know, uh, and there's nothing wrong with either of those these things. I'm being, I'm on the cutting edge. I'm the first person to do everything. I'm going to bring you the newest technology. And Or do you want to be known for being, you know, super trustworthy and down to earth and having a beautiful bedside manner and, you know, w- w- whatever it is. Yeah. Um, thinking about you know what's your what's your superpower and how do you make sure that people know that about you and 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 using what you you know authentically who you are so not trying to become this sort of caricature of someone who you think you need to be in order to have a a more public profile Mm. but you know you are who you are and people want to get that opportunity to get to know you through social media or through PR or, or whatever channels and let them know you as you are and, you know, be as authentic as possible and 100% that will resonate with people. Mm. Yeah. And my patients have said they like, you know, I, I have, don't post as frequently anymore because I just don't have time, but they like the way that I just talk as if I'm talking like myself. Mm. I'm not, I, I'm certainly not getting a, uh, a marketer to do it for me because they can't speak about what I do because they're mm. not an injector. So I think you just, you know, even if you post less frequently, just make it real. Just be you. Talk and about I, what you're doing in your day. I think that's a really, really good point because people who are running businesses or are running medical practices or clinics, you know, they're busy people and you might go, I don't have time for social media. I'm going to give that job to um, Betty in reception because she's young and she loves social media and she's really good at it. And that may be so, and Betty may be awesome, but Betty may be writing her social media posts like the 21-year-old that she is, and that's not reflective of you and Mm. who you want to be seen as. So I would really recommend as much as possible if you can have some sort of connection to your social media and involvement in it, and people can hear when it's not you, you know, Um, and, and that's okay because I don't think anybody expects a really busy doctor to be sitting on Instagram all day posting. That's not realistic. But to be able to certainly pop in and out and, and, and have some, you know, really educational or informative posts or where people just get a sense that they're actually interacting with you and not someone who's being, you know, yeah. paid to do it. Yeah. Now you've got, as we said, so many ways you can, you can promote yourself. And I think that 
part of the challenge, I guess, from a business perspective when you're looking at investing that money is how do you know what's been successful mm. and what hasn't? Because someone might come in contact with you, they might have heard about you from a friend, then they come across your Instagram and then they might like hear you on like, uh, you know, on a TV program, on the radio or something like that. Sure. How do you track ROI, or the return on investment? How do you know where to reallocate your funds yeah. when it comes to promoting yourself? That's a, that's the million dollar question. <laughs> so every marketing uh, effort that you undertake is has risk involved, yeah. yeah, in that you don't know how what how's this going to work for us and what you know what return on investment are we going to get so I'm going to take out an ad I'm going to take out a bunch of radio ads I'm going to hire a social media agency I'm going to hire a PR agency I'm going to do a photo shoot you know and then you know how, how are those things going to work out and so it is a case of sort of testing mm. as you go and and seeing what is beneficial and what isn't in terms of PR it is a little bit more difficult to track because you are talking about changing people's perception and awareness, which is very difficult to know unless you're running, you know, really detailed qualitative surveys of the nation every three months, you know. So it's sort of hard to know, am I actually changing attitudes and opinions and am I gaining awareness? But the good news is, is that more and more with things being online and with, you know, technology, it it is easier to track whether you are impacted by a positive piece of media coverage. So did you suddenly get a spike on your web traffic that day? Oh, people must have seen that. And oh, and we actually, a few people booked appointments from that or some few people called up and said, oh, I saw that thing on the Today Show and I, I want to know more. How can I find out more about it? So, um, you know, yeah, your social media following, did that go up? Um, it, it, it's often incumbent on the client to set things up on the business and to be able to track the PR side of things. So we can say to you, uh, we can give you a monthly report and that says all the media coverage and we can say this reached an audience of X million people. Um, but in terms of how did that actually impact your business, we sort of need you to tell us that. Mm. So there's things that you can set up from the beginning, you know, making sure that you've got the right Google Analytics on your website, making sure if you've got a form on your website that says how did you find us and it has a drop-down box and people can can say how they found you. Um, but it is a little bit of a case of trial and error in the sense that sometimes we will have, you know, this incredible huge story that's run on a really prominent, you know, website and we say to the client, did you did you just get a bunch of calls that day? And they go, no, Crickets. nothing. And we go, really? <laughs> they go, yeah, or no, not really. And then, then, then two weeks later they'll say, what's happened? Because I just got so many online orders for this skincare product, I don't understand what's happened. And then we'll find out some itty-bitty little tiny thing, you know, ran somewhere on someone's Instagram page where they might not have a big audience, but this audience is like highly engaged and obsessed with this person. So they've all run off and gone and bought it because, you know, so it's not always, it doesn't always work yeah. the way that you think. And and that's why if you've got, you know, a proper PR strategy yeah. in place, we've sort of got a few things usually running at any one time. Mm so that we can see, you know, what's beneficial and what isn't. But I would definitely say that it is very much a case of, you know, sort of building momentum as well. And when you're trying to build your profile, that that is something that takes time. It's not a case of doing something for four weeks and then going, did that work? Um, it, it is a process that, that, that can take a little bit longer. Hmm. Well, there's no silver bullet anymore, is there? There's no way you can just sort of, you know, fire that single shot. And I think as well, we're in a, a world now where everyone wants everything instantly. Like it's this world of instant gratification. So you want to sure. do A and get B, right? But yeah. you, you mentioned that example where you had that huge story that ran and they got no orders. And then all of a sudden, maybe the person who ran that Instagram post that got all the stories originally stole the other story Correct. that you did. So you just don't know. You just got to, I guess, in some ways, trust the process and be patient and just do the right things consistently. Absolutely. And not sort of have this ad hoc, really scrambled approach. Um, and that is... It, it, exactly spot on that I know as a consumer that sometimes it takes me seeing something three times before I'll actually jump on a website. Like I'll see something, you know, I'll read about it and I go, oh, that looks interesting. And then I'll see someone post about it on social media and I go, oh yeah, that actually really want to look into that. And then I'll see one more thing and I go, all right, you know, so how do you know which was the 
thing that yeah. tipped that customer over the edge to actually make the call. Um, it's, it, it is a, a little bit of a tricky thing to track for sure. How can, let's use an injector again or, or a doctor or a clinic, how can they do their own PR? <laughs> Like rather than engaging, you know, maybe I, I don't know what it costs, so yeah. um, maybe I've got it wrong. But the perception would be it might cost thousands a month to get a bit of inertia and yeah. and then maybe could drop it down. So if someone who doesn't want to do that or doesn't have the budget yet, what can they do themselves? Well, I have a question for you. Tell me. If you're a person that doesn't have the money to pay an injector, how can you do it yourself? Can you inject yourself? The answer is probably not a good idea right yes. so I, I I don't like I don't like saying this right because I am all for small businesses I am a small business I am all for people not having to pay ridiculous sums of money to get the opportunity to work with good people that can help their businesses but the fact is it is a really tricky thing to do on your own if, if it's just an area that you know nothing about Correct. so when I started my business I was very clear on day one I am not going to do my own bookkeeping <laughs> so I to this day don't really know how to log into zero like I don't know any I just it's not my area and I think I would be really bad at it yeah and so I just pay someone else to do it to make sure that it's done properly. I probably could have invested the time to learn about it and 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 understand a bit more about accounting and bookkeeping and save myself that money. But when I weigh up what my time is worth every day, I don't think it's worth my time and my hourly rate to be spending my time doing that. Yeah. And that's the question that you have to ask. So, yep, you could try and uh, reach out to some media and you could say, um, I uh, read your story on such and such and uh, I offer this treatment in my practice and it's something I'm, I'm really well known for. And if you're ever doing any stories on this in the future, please feel free to reach out to me because I'd be happy to chat to you. Yeah. 100% you can do that. Um, you can uh, proactively reach out to people as well and say, I would love to invite you in to have this or that treatment with me um, and see what you think and, you know, try and build some relationships that way. A lot of, I know a lot of doctors and injectors and people like that do that, you know, offer free treatments for uh, influencers or media and you can't necessarily demand something in return, but your hope is that they have a good experience and they talk about you and they tell other people and that sort of word of mouth in itself is good PR. Mm. Um, but in terms of trying to execute something, uh, you know, like an actual PR campaign, I just, it, it's a hard thing to do. We've got relationships with media already. Mm. They receive thousands of emails every week. If you're sending out an email and they've never heard from you and they don't know who you are, you, the, the fact is that the chances of them reading your email are much lower than the chances of them reading my email purely because they know who I am and we've spoken before. Agreed. So you might write the best pitch in the world and it just doesn't land because they don't open your email. So it's very relationship-based and half of the time you're paying for the person that can connect you with the right people. Um, but I would certainly say that for sure you can, you know, reach out to, to journalists who you see that are writing in your space and let them know this is who I am. Uh, this is my business. I am, you know, this is my area of expertise. And if you ever need to chat to someone, you know, please, please give me a call. I'm happy to provide information for you or whatever. So do you reckon the moral of the story is dedicate a small percentage, even if your budget is small to things like that? So even if you're doing it on a small scale, you're doing it consistently and, you know, you're sort of chipping away. Yeah. And to explain, probably it's helpful to explain how, how you pay for PR and how it's billed. So essentially you're paying for time. So if you're paying your PR um, person or company uh, a, a X amount of dollars, that buys you a certain amount of time that they can spend on your account. Mm -hmm. So by that token, you you don't have, there's no sort of um, set amount that you need to spend. It can be quite flexible and you can find people that are willing to work to a range of budgets. So uh, a client might come to us and say, we want to spend X amount of dollars per month for the year yeah. and put together a program for us. Uh, or we might have a client that says, we don't know what to do. What should we do? Put together a program for us and tell us how much it costs. That's usually how it goes. Yeah. And then they go, oh, we didn't want to spend that much. So it's really helpful to just upfront say what you want to spend. Um, and then there's, you know, a project where you might say, well, I've never done PR before. So I want to give it a go and see if it is of 
benefit for my business and my practice. So why don't we do three months and you tell me what you think you can do in that period. And then, you know, you see from that point, actually, yeah, that was really good and I want to keep it going. Or you say, Meh, I don't know that that really, you know, moved the dial for mm-hmm. me, but at least you, you've given it a try. But I think, yeah, definitely the best PR, um, it, you know, if money was not a, a factor, to have something that is ongoing and consistent is definitely really beneficial. Mm. Yeah. If someone does have a really modest budget, well, mm-hmm. I mean, what I'm not going to tie you down to a price, but I guess yeah. people might be asking, well, okay, that sounds great, but like, what does that actually mean in dollar figures? What, as Jake sort of suggested, that new injector, yeah. or not, but someone that wants to like, dip their toe in the water and allocate a small amount, what yeah. would you say would be a reasonable amount for them to allocate towards that type of... I'd say looking, and this isn't necessarily reflective of, of, of my business specifically, but across the board... If you're looking at a, a small sort of PR company that's usually a little bit um, less expensive uh, all the way through to, you know, the bigger end of the scale, you could be looking at anywhere from three grand a month to f- 10 grand a month, you know, and um, really uh, you'll get better value for money with a boutique agency Mm -hmm. because they don't have all of the layers of, you know, people that need to get paid. And, um, you know, something that I really wanted to be able to do for my clients was to deliver, you know, real value for money and and return on investment. And uh, for me, that means I'm not going to use up that time that you're paying me for having a whole bunch of meetings with you. I want to use that time, you know, doing the work that is going to bring in the results for you. So I'm usually like really upfront about that with clients as well in terms of saying, um, you know, let's have a a quick call once a week or once every two weeks. We'll give you a report at the end of the month. Make sure that I'm really transparent about what, you know, what they're getting out of it. But like if we've only got X amount of time, we want to spend that doing the work that's going to get you the best bang for your buck. Mm. Okay. I mean, Sounds, sounds, I mean, I guess when you think about how much, say, an injector might make, if you're allocating a couple of thousand a month to have someone that's really going to take care of your public profile. We're working for you, networking yes. for you, shouting your name, getting you in yeah. journals. I think it's great value. And I mean, it's it's kind of comes down to that point I made before about me choosing not to do my own accounting. Like, I just don't want to have to think about that. Yeah. I just want that to be, that's one area of my business that mm. I just want. I just want to know that that's sorted and someone's doing a good job of it and I don't, have to think about it yeah and it's that sort of thing where you can go well I don't have this isn't really my area I don't know a lot about it but I would like to know that I'm working on growing my business and building my profile and that I've got you know someone working on that who knows what they're doing and so I don't have to worry about that Mm. Mm. something that um, I was looking through your website the other night and um, I noticed that one of the things that you mentioned is experimental marketing (laughs) Experiential? Ex- was it experiential? No, experimental. I hope it, oh, wasn't it was experiential. experimental. It was experimental. I hope, I hope it was experimental because I was gonna, <laughs> I, I wanted to. Okay, let me. Do, I actually have it written down here. Okay. It was experiential. You're experiential. right. What is that? Phew. <laughs> so experiential. I was just testing you on you. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Wow. Pass that test. So experiential <laughs> is like, uh, you know, experience based, right. and so it's usually stuff that's sort of out there in the street with people, right. which in COVID times has dried up right? because people don't want to be out there face-to-face with people. So say you might see an activation down at Bondi Beach. What's where, an activation? So, uh, All this marketing uh, lingo. Yeah, God, yes. what's an activation? Okay, so I'm going to give you an example. It's like a brand bringing an experience to life. Right. So um, so that'd be like live give you a great Botox, example. doing live Botox injections? No, no, no. <laughs> so I, I remember uh, they did cool sculpting on Bondi Beach oh, with right. the devices. Yes. Correct. And, and people jumped on and okay. had a play. So, so one of our clients is a um, a treatment called hydrofacial, which oh, I yeah. don't know if you've heard about. Of yes. course. But it's, yeah, hydroderm abrasion. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's the best thing I've ever done on my skin. I love it. Um, so in America, it's huge. Um, we only started working with them sort of around about a year ago through the Australian distributor here. But I know in America where it's massive they've got this like hydrofacial like bus that will drive around (laughs) and you know it's this like totally 
decked out like tour bus and then it will park somewhere and people can come in and get their like 15 minute hydrofacial and there'll be like people walking around in hydrofacial t-shirts giving things out so that's like an activation and that's sort of an experiential thing right. where like the cool sculpting thing that you said where you're you're sort of taking it out to the people right rather than waiting for them to come to you interesting yeah. and you can do that you know i remember one example of it virgin uh, had opened a gym near where I live on the Northern Beaches and there were just people in Virgin T-shirts handing out bananas to people getting off the ferry and, and on the banana was a little guest pass, you know, right. so here's some brekkie, have a healthy brekkie, whatever. That's like a really low-cost example yeah, right. of it. Um, but, yeah, with COVID, no one wants to be touching a yes. banana that someone else has touched. So, <laughs> so there's not much experiential stuff happening at the moment. Bananas in condoms, maybe? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then who opened the condom? You know, it's just, yeah, opening a can of worms. So, yeah, brands are really, yeah, I don't know if that will start happening again anytime soon. You know, anything that's sort of generating a crowd and generating people yeah. touching things, it's, yeah. So I think brands are sort of staying away from well, that. I, I think stuff like moment. that works so well because you're not even talking about your brand. It's just fun and it's introducing a concept to someone in a, novel way and 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 the experience sells itself and it's leaving people with a feeling as well right so so much about branding is how people feel about your brand so so i'm looking at both of your sneakers now and uh, david's wearing nikes and uh, what are they these are actually zara well they're i really like them Thank actually you. um but you know it's like why why did you buy nike sneakers like yeah. what is it about nike that makes you you just feel a certain something about nike they or like you, sweatshops <laughs> you know Jeez. like why do you buy like is that an ipad or is it a microsoft ipad okay so why did you buy an ipad and not phone Mac Pro, everything works together, makes my life simple. Same, but also I'd prefer to be seen with an Apple piece of equipment. And than sexy as well. Correct. Yeah. So people just have a feeling about the brand and what does this brand say about me? And so yeah. to, to do an experiential thing like that leaves people with a feeling where they go, wow, this is so cool. Oh, my God, I love this brand. Or, or um, you know, maybe you don't want it to be, maybe it's something a bit more serious or it's like, you know, breast screening or something where you're encouraging, you know, wouldn't be that fun and silly. It might have a bit more of a serious tone of voice, but you're leaving people with a with a feeling of how they feel about your brand and that can be quite powerful as well. Wow. I thought I knew a lot about PR. Um, evidently, um, as this conversation comes to a conclusion, I uh, realized that I didn't. So thank you. So, <laughs> thank welcome. you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I know you're a very busy lady and uh, um, it was, manic it was at fun. Yeah. I'll, you know, I taught the hind leg off a donkey. So yeah, that was great. It's fantastic. Yeah. And hopefully the listeners, especially, um, you know, the injectors like Jake have got a lot out of this. Um, how can people get in contact with you if they'd like to talk to you about how you might be potentially able to help them. Oh, how lovely. Well, we have, yes, we have a website, sodacommunications.com.au. That's probably the best As in bet. soda, as in the drink, S-O-D-A. As in the drink, yep. yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's probably a good place to start. We're do you have on, an Instagram as well? We do. We've got two. We've got Soda Communications in Melbourne and then Soda underscore Sydney is the Sydney office. Right. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Danny. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I'll be calling you. It was fun, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, call me. Have your people call my people. And I'm going to be hassling David to up the budget for the IA bus. We're going to we're going to do an Australian Let's tour. Let's do a tour like Priscilla <laughs> yeah. Queen yes, of the Desert, you can where be you guys the bus, can Jake. be standing out of the <laughs> yeah, sunroof. Your, you can have your Zara sneakers on and nothing else. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds and good. Everything black and white will be beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Good to see you again. You're welcome. Thank Thanks, you. Danny. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.